she gets her first deal as part of an R&B girl group. Mm-hmm. L.A. Reid actually signs her R&B girl group to LaFace when Pink is like 16, like 1995-96. And they release a song that goes onto the Kazam soundtrack. Okay. The movie which starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. genie. Yeah. The famous example of like the Mandela effect, right? Yeah, that like we all think that there's a movie starring Sinbad called Shazam, but that movie does not exist because there was a movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie called Kazam. My thing is, I think Shaquille, I think Shaq's movie is called Shazam. I forgot okay. that it was. You know. I thought Sinbad was in it. Anyway, yeah. Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. The pop music public embraced Pink's 2001 evolution from R&B tough chick to feisty pop rocker with her sophomore Surprise I'm White effort, 2001's <laughs> multi-platinum Misunderstood. She doubled down on her rocker edge with 2003's Try This, but a falling out with her main musical collaborator and clashes with her label made for a rushed, uneven product that U.S. audiences didn't embrace. Today we're talking about the second single from that album, nope. Today we're talking about the third single from that album, God is a DJ. <laughs> okay, hi. How's it going? It's a great morning uh, here in the greater Los Angeles area. We're talking about pink today. Ooh, I love pink. You know, we're getting I, into I it. I do. I do. I mean, well, do I love do we, pink? Do you love pink? I, you know, that's do, the thing. I don't know, actually. I don't know if I love pink. Yeah. They're, they're, I have my pink favorites. Um, I don't hate pink. I yeah. think pink is a brilliant singer. I think that she has a solid point of view that you know she's excellent at putting forth on albums i don't i don't love i don't love love a lot of her music though. she yeah she's she's a great performer yeah um i think and i think that that's been a long-term goal of hers is to be that be a live touring performer yeah i mean i know it's it's what she loves to do i mean I think my high watermark for Pink was when she did her Cirque du Soleil performance of uh, Glitter in the Air, Glitter in the Air. Mm-hmm. at the Grammys. And I was like, after that, Frozen and Amber. Haven't really paid attention. Don't know what she's done since, really. Except like pop up on like soundtracks, maybe. Yeah. And like... I mean, and that that Glitter in the Air performance, was that the Grammys? Yeah. Yeah, it was the grammar. And that it was it was that performance. And I think there was one other performance that she had kind of kicked off this aerial acrobatic mm-hmm. Cirque du Soleil styled aspect of her career that truly catapulted her into that realm of an artist that people worldwide will like fill arenas to see. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not she has a current release out, like people around the world will go fill an arena to see her. And I think that that was really the beginning of it because prior to that, even as recently as, um, I want to say even as recently as the, the I'm not dead era, mm-hmm. when she released that album, she was still like opening for I mean, people. She was still doing opening acts for Justin Timberlake at that point. Very. Even you, though she was selling like 15 million records. Yeah. But you say as recently as I'm not dead, that was 2006. 
Well, that was all, but that was also her fourth album. That's true. Okay, I she see. Had already I see sold, what she, she had already sold in excess of twenty, probably like twenty million albums worldwide at that point, and she still had to open for Justin Timberlake. That's so. Ugh. And yeah. it's you know one of the things that she talks about actually is in the process of securing her record deal trying to release all these albums that she wanted to release in the process of like building her music career. She gets hooked up with a manager named Roger Davies. Oh, and I think Roger Davies was also Tina Turner. He was Tina Turner's. Yeah. We were just talking about Tina Turner. Also kind of iconic. He's the one, he's the one who, who brought her into that, who helped build her into the superstar that she became in the eighties. Like when she was still doing Vegas cabaret acts. Yeah. And it was, And so Pink hooks up with him. Like Pink is at the time, like many young pop starlets getting screwed left and right by her record label. Uh And so she finally enlists a manager to kind of look at her contracts, figure out what the hell she's actually signing up for. Uh And she says that at the time that she hooked up with him and he's renegotiating her contracts and trying to make sure that she's getting compensated fairly for her music, he was also like, well, what is your dream for your career? And it was at that point that she established that her big goal was like, I just want to be an iconic live performer. That is so funny because... In the previous episode, we were talking about Tina Turner and how, like, you know, she's selling out. Like, she's an amazing life performer, but she's selling out these stadiums, right? And I was walking, watching her documentary, and Roger Davies had the same question for her. So it's like, it's clearly his management style. He's like, what is your dream? And she said, I want to sell out arenas as the first black female rock star. That was, like, her dream. And... That they didn't know how they were going to make it happen, but they did. So it is fascinating because I'm looking at the rest of his, you know, some of his other people. He's got like, he's he's managing Cher right now. Um, mm-hmm. he, Olivia Newton-John at the time, you know, in the 80s. And Janet Jackson through the early 2000s. Um, very interesting. Like, he's got a thing. Yeah. I mean, a- we're hitting all these interesting points of intersection with all these artists. You realize there's a lot of the same players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> touching upon all these different people's lives. Mm -hmm. Did you, were you ever under the impression that pink was black? At the very beginning, because it was like that. And she had those big glasses. I thought she was just, I thought she was like blue Cantrell. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like light skinned black woman. Cause she had the buzz. It's just interesting that like, yeah, that even after images of her visage, are publicly available. I was always under the, I was, I was thinking back on it. Like, was I alone in this feeling? Like I thought pink was black. Like she had an album cover out. She had a music video out. And even with all of that, I was like, why was I under the impression that there was a possibility that she was biracial or that she was a light skinned black woman. And there was actually an article written up in Jezebel a few years ago about exactly that about like was pink marketed to us was she presenting herself to us in those early years as ambiguously multi-ethnic i think she she was definitely marketed as urban so whatever that and i think that was the thing is like you know if you're of a certain age you might not recall that pink debuted in 2000 2001 as an r&b artist yes with songs like 
most girls and there you go and you make me sick i was listening back to a lot of it now and it's very much like of the era we were talking in the last episode about fantasia about fantasia entering this like outside of time point with her music where it's always it always sounds a little fresh now because it wasn't so of the moment Mm -hmm. and pink's early music is almost exactly the opposite of it it's very, I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is the year 2000, 2001, because it's got, it's got like the timpani for some reason, pop music was really into the timpani that very like, uh, love don't cost a thing. Jennifer Lopez opener with like some light strings and then a timpani. Yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then there's an aspect to it. That's like, um, it's like a mashup of like bills, bills, bills. You know how bills, bills, bills yeah, has it's, like kind of guitar. Stringy. It's very, and it, it's very tinny. In yeah. a way, right? Like yeah. there's a... And she was also working with like Candy Burris of now of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Back then, a uh, recently solo member of Escape. Oh, yeah. Because Candy had that one song in like 2000, 2001 called um, Don't Think I'm Not. That song that was like, if you're oh, yeah, club, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, think yeah. I'm not. Don't think I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also, I think... Pink was working with Candy as a songwriter. And so a lot of it has that kind of Atlanta area R&B pop crossover sound to it. Even to go back and like look at interviews with Pink at the time, to listen to some of the tracks on the album, Can't Take Me Home, her debut album. Uh-huh. Again, it's like the Justin Timberlake, Megan Trainer of it all, where I was like, is she intentionally putting on this affect that I don't think she has anymore? Like, it, like when you see her now as an adult woman, as an actual human person, uh-huh. the person that she was in the media putting on particular ways of speaking, a particular accent, I yeah. would even say. Yeah. And also like a very evasive way of talking about being white. I don't you know? know any of this, but yes. Like, I, I, cause, cause, okay. So like I was picking up on the fact that like reportedly the reason that her stage name is pink is because as a teen, her friends nicknamed her after Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs. Oh. But in that first album cycle that she's promoting this album as a racially ambiguous R&B singer, uh-huh. whenever the questions come to her about like her race or being a white woman singing R&B music, she kind of gives this response about like, well, we're all pink inside. Oh. I don't see it's it's very much that like colorblind response of like I don't see I don't see race because we're all pink inside. Yeah. Oh. That's Which I, I I but I feel like that's how people talked about race twenty years ago. Yeah. I feel like we've maybe moved past moved beyond that. Because I, I, I think twenty years ago we were very much in the mindset of a benevolent colorblind society. And we wanted to believe that that's what we lived in, right? Yeah. I think that was the intention behind white people saying that they don't see race. They don't see color. Yeah. It was well, it was well intentioned, well intentioned, but not the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe not, you don't see color, but it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, acknowledge the myriad of other people that only see color. Um, <laughs> so I, I just thought that was interesting, especially in terms of where we head with pink as we charge forward into the surprise. I'm white era of pink. I like that this is an era. <laughs> Cause I I there was there was a little bit of shock and awe on my part when it was like, oh wait, pink's white. You know? Yeah. 
I might have been very naive. Jason, I don't see color. So I was very surprised to find out that pink was white. Can we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. I just wanted to get all that garbage yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the way before we get into it. We're totally back. We are back. back. So we've been doing this thing with the past few episodes where like, maybe we start out with the thesis of this episode or like what I was thinking about when I decided to talk about this song. Right. Okay. So what I'm thinking about for this episode is that when Pink switches things up with her second album, Misunderstood, and she leads that off with the single, Let's Get the Party Started. Uh Terrible, terrible song terrible horrendous disgusting song when she does that she essentially creates a pattern for herself right Mm. that starts out by catching her audience's attention with these kind of hooky pithy lead singles and then following that up with more like soul-bearing emotionally raw songs kind of anthemic pop rock songs right Uh and she stumbles into this hit making pattern with misunderstood and almost immediately abandons it with 2003's Try This, which is her biggest flop to date. And almost as a way of correcting this, I feel like for the next two to three album cycles after that, she very strictly adheres to this pattern. Like a like a kind of raunchy, playful lead. A raunchy, playful lead single, something that is fun, mm-hmm. something that is raucous, also, maybe most importantly, something with a message that is super easy to absorb. Uh-huh. Something where it's like you listen to the chorus one time and you know immediately what this song is about. You have already invented all the scenarios in your life that you will ever want to just blast this song out of your car window or in your living room or in your bedroom or in your headphones, wherever, right? Like it's there's something about a certain type of pop song that is so easy to digest infectious infectious one might say disposable (laughs) one might say uh low-hanging fruit or or one might say like the pinnacle of pop music (laughs) the pinnacle of pop music let's go there let's go there so i i really feel like that is something that pink has mastered over time And in the process of figuring that out, she took a little bit of a stumble with this third album. So to back it up a little bit, we've established that, you know, Pink cuts her teeth as a solo artist with an R&B pop debut. Um, She's signed to LaFace Records by L.A. Reid. L.A. Reid and LaFace, they are instrumental in the success of acts like TLC, of Tony Braxton, of Usher. L.A. Reid is really kind of given the credit for championing a lot of these Black artists. And so when he comes out with Pink, Pink is not a Black artist, but he brands her as this R&B singer. Going into her second album, Pink decides she wants to break away from all of this, right? Uh And that is when she famously starts to collaborate with Linda Perry of Four Non Blondes. And as the mythology of the story goes, she is, I think, working either with a a hairstylist or a makeup artist who happens to have Linda Perry's phone number in her phone. So Pink decides that she's just going to cold call Linda Perry 
and leaves Linda Perry a voicemail basically saying like, look, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to keep calling you until you call me back. I want to work with you. You are one of my favorite artists of all times. And, um, it works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She manifests it. Linda Perry from her side of things is a bit reluctant to embark upon this collaboration with pink for one, like Linda Perry at this point in time is not known for this mm-hmm. by and large. I would say like Linda Perry was really known as a one hit wonder for, for four non blondes yeah. and then kind of disappears from mainstream music. Like she continues to work and she continues to perform, but not, not to the extent that you would imagine that like a multi-platinum pop star would be like stalking you. Yeah. And you know, basically like what did she stealing see? your phone number. What did she see that we didn't see? Yeah. So, but what's interesting about this is that also around this time, Linda Perry is messing around with the idea of like pop songwriting. Okay. And to hear Linda Perry's side of things, she is just messing around with like learning to create drum loops and kind of laying down her guitar instrumentation on these, on these songs. And in the process, she's, Essentially thinking like, what is the stupidest pop song I could possibly create? That song was Let's Get the Party Started. (laughs) It was basically like, what's the most banal thing I can lay down? And then what are like the most expected, most run-of-the-mill platitudes about getting a party started (laughs) that I can write? And will it be a great pop song? (laughs) And the answer was yes. Yes, it will be a great pop song, but it will be a objectively a terrible song Uh, is it a terrible i mean it's it's a terrible song it's so long ago and like i feel like it was omnipresent that like it omnipresent big hit big hit again super easy to digest you know immediately what the purpose of this song is exactly for those reasons though i think that linda perry was playing around with this idea of like okay like what are the ingredients that go into a pop song and can i just string these ingredients end on end to create a formulaic pop masterpiece. And she did the Wikipedia entry for this song. Let's get the party started. It notes that this entire song is performed with one chord. (laughs) There is no chord progression. It's the same chord for the entire entire three minutes and 30 seconds. Way to go. (laughs) Reportedly Linda Perry wanted Madonna to sing this song, but Madonna passed on it. I can see this being a Madonna song too at the time. Right. You know, and, and so maybe it's a little bit of serendipity that uh, a young pop upstart named Pink, Alicia Beth Moore is another hassling her on the phone. Another mononym. One name, (laughs) one name wonder. Mm -hmm. Yep. So in the mythology of Pink, Pink starts living with Linda Perry. It sounds like they just like do like a lot of all nighters and Pink ends up like sleeping on her floor. Uh Uh-huh. And I feel like, okay, so this is the thing. This is the thing. I feel like there's a mythology around this era of Pink's music Uh that Pink sought out Linda Perry. Linda Perry brought out this, this new version of Pink, this new unexpected version of Pink, the pop rock version of Pink that felt more authentic to who Pink was, her personality. It suited her voice a lot better. And I feel like that that's the story we tell ourselves about the success of the Misunderstood album, right? Uh-huh. When I look back on it, I actually don't know a lot of the Linda Perry penned songs. Like Linda Perry pens, I think maybe two thirds of the album 
including the lead single, Let's Get the Party Started. But the other singles on that album, the other singles that I actually think of as more instrumental in changing my perception of Pink uh-huh. were not the Linda Perry songs. Which which songs are 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 that are iconic from this album but were not written by Linda Perry? Is okay. it like just like a pill? So for me, the first album that I heard from the Misunderstood album that really changed my mind about Pink was the song um, Don't Let Me Get Me. Okay, yeah. Because that was the first song that was one of her like soul laid bare kind of vulnerable rock tinged songs, you know? Yeah. And I think it was also an iconic song in the sense that it directly addressed the idea of her not wanting to be a pop star in the way that her label was trying to mold her. Right. Yeah. Like, isn't there that line? She, LA. Yeah. Like she specifically or, yeah. calls out LA Reed and says, LA told me you'll be a pop star. Uh-huh. All you have to do is change everything you are. Yeah. You know, and it's, and so in this moment of her kind of proudly finally proclaiming that she is a white person, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's almost acknowledging that there was this, there was a machine behind her. Uh-huh. That was basically trying to trying to put her in in line with someone like a Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, you know, Destiny's Child, all of these pop acts that were coming up with slightly R&B tinged music. Like there was an attempt made to conform to that. Yeah. But Don't Let Me Get Me is a Dallas Austin song. Okay. What about like Just Like a Pill? Just Like a Pill, I think, was also a Dallas Austin song. Okay. Because those all were kind of different. They were more in that vein. Like So from Misunderstood, the songs that I remember, the songs that were like the big singles, aside from Let's Get the Party Started, it was uh, Don't Let Me Get Me, uh-huh. Dallas Austin, uh-huh. co-written and, and produced by Dallas Austin. And Dallas Austin, of course, um, worked frequently with like TLC. Mm-hmm. He was very much like in that L.A. Reed Atlanta scene group of songwriters, right? Yeah. Didn't he also do a lot for Destiny's Child? I know that he is the father of Chili Rosanda Thomas's child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not important. I was just curious. But like, what else did he write on? I mean, look, what are the other? I I still just want to know what are the songs on here that you associate with her new vibe that were not Linda Perry? Oh, it's "Don't Let Me Get Me," mm-hmm. "Family Portrait," which is a Scott Storch song. Oh. Right, like all of these songs that I thought were, well, all the songs that were the big singles, Mm -hmm. first of all, all of the songs that I thought at the time were debuting her kind of new rock sound. And at the same time, we were being given the story that like Linda Perry is instrumental in all of this. In fact, like Linda Perry, I mean, and and not to undercut Linda Perry, like Linda Perry did co-write and produce the majority of this album. It's just the if you're not like a big pink fan as neither of us are, uh-huh. these are the crevices of the album that you never heard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, the parts of the album that we heard, it was Dallas Austin. It was Scott Storch mm-hmm. to like pop producers, pop R and B producers. Mm-hmm. So to, da- to go back to Dallas Austin, cause I feel like we've talked about Dallas Austin. Yeah, we have aside from him being Chili Rosanda Thomas's, um, <laughs> I like that every time you say her name, you have to say like all three, all three names. We know who Chili is. Do we? We do. You say Um, Chili, I know who you're talking about. 
<laughs> okay. Um, what did we talk about? I feel like we talked about a Dallas Austin song before. I don't know that we. I I just know that he's worked on with some of the artists that we've talked about. So I don't know. If yeah, I mean, he's worked with like Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. He's worked with. Um, he worked with the Sugar Babes. Hmm. Again, like a lot of TLC stuff. He did that. He did that song "Blowing Blowing Me Up with Your Love" by JC Chasse. Ah, yes. Oh, I. You know why we talked about. Dallas Austin. Dallas Austin wrote the Janet Jackson song oh, <laughs> that yeah. I redeemed. Yes. Just a little while. A little Dallas while. Austin. So Dallas Austin, very much a pop songwriter, but also kind of like an R&B tinged pop mm-hmm. songwriter. And very much. Well, in, very in line with that time, right? That's what. Yeah, that, very in line with that time. Like. And so I think it's interesting that in the period of time where we were very into this story about Pink and Linda Perry, like the majority of the stuff that we as like a general pop audience we're hearing actually had nothing to do with that maybe. Mm-hmm. But reportedly like LA Reed was not a big fan of this album. He didn't think that this album was going to work. Pink reportedly pushed very hard to get this out. Understandably. So like if you're LA Reed and you're thinking, I just spent X amount of time to make you into an R and B artist. And now you're doing this. Like who's so, going to buy this? So that line in the song about LA told me you know was yeah. on an album that he was still oh, he was he i was thought still she must have, i thought she must have left at that point okay. no 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 this is only her second album so she is oh. still a laface arista artist well ballsy um yeah i mean and and, and and i think that like when you look at the way that pink and la reed talk about each other it almost seems like they maybe don't get along, but they actually genuinely have a lot of respect for each other. Yeah. Okay. I think that there's a lot of parallels that I see between like what Pink did with her career and then what Kelly Clarkson did with her career and the way that LA Reed and Clive Davis respectively either meddled in or stepped back from what they were trying to do. Right. Because when we talked about Kelly Clarkson, we were talking about Kelly Clarkson's also third album, never again, or my December. Uh huh. Which was also an album that was kind of an extension of a departure that Kelly Clarkson had made with her second album. Uh Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm jumping around a lot because basically what I'm saying is like with Pink, you have this trajectory of like her first album being an R&B singer with the album Can't Take Me Home. Then you have her changing gears for her second album with Misunderstood. She becomes more of a pop rock artist. It's very, very well received worldwide. Huge success. And then with her third album, Pink, goes into Try This. And she kind of doubles down on that rock aspect of her music. Uh And it doesn't work. Uh. And Kelly Clarkson did a very similar thing. That's right, with My December. My December, doubling down on a rock sound, but also working, not working with a lot of the same producers, really striking out on her own and really also publicly coming up against a lot of opposition with her label head, Clive Davis. Mm -hmm. So off the success of Misunderstood, Uh obviously L.A. Reid kind of, you know, eats his words a little bit on not believing in that project because the the whole thing is a huge success. But whatever the case is, it seems that there's a little bit of friction between Pink and her label because the way that Pink characterizes the period after Misunderstood moving into Try This, she talks about making this third album kind of like a big fuck you. I think that there's a popular story 
about why her third album, Try This, and the single God is a DJ, like, I think that there's a popular story about why none of this worked. Uh And part of it has to do with the mythology of the Linda Perry collaboration, that Linda Perry was responsible for adapting Pink's sound about, of, she was, that she was responsible for finding this truer sound for Pink, Mm -hmm. right? That led to the huge success of Misunderstood. And what happens in between Misunderstood and Try This is that she has a rather public falling out with Linda Perry. And I think that this is largely credited with the failure of Try This. So what happens is that in 2001, and we've talked about this before, Pink collaborates with Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, and Maya, and Missy Elliott mm-hmm. on the remake of Lady Marmalade mm-hmm. for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. And reportedly, this is when a pretty big and long-standing feud between Pink and Christina Aguilera opens up. What happens actually, and I I had read or, I had read this report of this incident, is that basically like when they were coming together to collaborate on this, Ron Fair, who we've talked about Ron Fair before, actually. Ron Fair was the producer of Lady Marmalade. We've also talked about him because he was he's married to um one of Fergie's ex-bandmates from Wild Orchid. Oh. He's also one of the um like executive producers of the Pussycat dolls. Oh, interesting. And he's also been, um, he was the producer of uh, Christina Aguilera's Beautiful Mm. and the executive producer of um, Fergie's Big Girls Don't Cry. Mm. So so this guy has recurred in some of our episodes. Reportedly, when these women are coming together to collaborate on this single, Ron Fair walks into the room, says like, what are the, what are the highest parts of this song? What are the best parts of this song? All of those will be sung by Christina. And Pink is like, wait a s- hold on. Have you, uh, hi, have we met yet? Like, I'm Pink. Hello. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 And so there's immediately this conflict around kind of like, who is the lead singer going to be in this? Right. And what is the response? Well, what are the shared responsibilities in the creation of this single? But they attempt to hide this conflict between these two women but it's fairly apparent that they do not like each other. There are rumors later that Christina Aguilera had tried to like punch Pink in a nightclub. <laughs> and this is something that like even now, years later, like Pink and Christina Aguilera, I think they're fine now. Like they totally reconciled on The Voice one year. Uh-huh. But Pink still says that like they're like Christina Aguilera took a swing at her in a club. Christina Aguilera says this never happened. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Christina Aguilera actually says that they were playing spin the bottle at a club and that they kissed, but, um, <laughs> feels like Christina. I don't believe Christina. It's, it's very like, what's the truth dot gif. So they have this longstanding feud, which then culminates in, the relationship between Pink and Linda Perry falling apart because for Christina Aguilera's Stripped album, she begins working with very closely with Linda Perry and Linda Perry gives Christina Aguilera permission to record the song Beautiful, which reportedly Pink had wanted to sing, but that Linda Perry had at the time insisted she would never give to anyone. Yeah, I remember this. And so Pink talks about you know not being happy that like not only was Linda Perry beginning to work with others, like basically 
I got the impression that there was a little bit of like Pink felt like she had lifted Linda Perry a little bit out of obscurity uh-huh. with Misunderstood. And then Linda Perry kind of took that and ran with it and yeah. started working with it. Like, she worked with like Gwen Stefani. Like she wrote like, well, what you waiting for? Uh-huh. for Gwen Stefani. And then not only to do that, not only to lift herself up and to, and to continue to fly, but then to fly directly into the arms of someone that Pink can't stand. Yeah. Pink was reportedly not happy about this. When, so when the third album comes out, when Try This comes out, notably Linda Perry is largely missing. Linda Perry and her songwriting and her production appear on three tracks on this album. There is a rumor that these Linda Perry tracks on Try This are actually like leftovers from the misunderstood era that were just added in because largely Pink decides to work with Tim Armstrong on this album. And Tim Armstrong is the guitarist and vocalist for the band Rancid. Mm. Oh my God, Jason. What? I had completely stopped typing at this point. What? What do you mean? My notes just end. Oh, oh, so, oh, oh. So wait, okay. So, but I want to, so, so, so so anyways, but I'll finish this story, Jason, uh, because we're just two gals chatting. (laughs) We're just two gals chatting. So, so Pink's primary collaborator on this third album, Try This, is Tim Armstrong. So sonically, this album is actually pretty different from the second album, I would say. It's a rock, but but it's a different vibe than whatever. It's rock. It's a different vibe. Uh But also like. Kind of to my previous point about the mythology about the Linda Perry connection, mm-hmm. more notably than the absence of Linda Perry is the absence of like Dallas Austin mm. or yeah. someone like a Scott Storch. Yeah. Like not only was like Linda Perry actually does appear on this album. The people that don't appear on this album are the certified pop hit makers that yeah. she had previously been working with. Uh-huh. And I actually think that that is, that is more important than the absence of Linda Perry that I don't think that Linda Perry in terms of the actual mass appeal of misunderstood mm-hmm. was integral at all to the sex, uh, to the success of that album. Mm. I think that Linda Perry it's kind of a fluke gave, and well, a good story. I think that Linda Perry's name yeah. gave a pedigree uh-huh. to what pink was doing, but the pop songwriters that she was working with actually gave her like the, the infectious pop songs Yeah, that she needed even, in order to dominate with in the way that that album did. Yeah, even if they were leaning rock and Linda Perry was giving her this rock credibility. Yeah, yeah. It didn't have the pop sensibility well, it was that the association, 15 million right? people wanted, you know? It was the association. So that whether or not exactly. the actual tracks were all rock produced, because she had this association, she could repitch herself as this and it automatically reframed everything else she did. Yeah, I think that, like, to talk about credibility, mm-hmm. right? You have Linda Perry... You think about Four Non Blondes. You think oh. about the song "What's Up," uh-huh. and you think, "Oh, like someone like Linda Perry is co-signing on Pink yeah. being a rock artist." Okay, yeah. okay, cool. And what she does with "Try This," and especially the song "God Is a DJ," you know, it's not like a it's not like a big rockin' song to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. It's still a pretty poppy song. Like the the hook of it is very poppy. I think of it as a very pop song. It's a very pop song. This yeah. song actually, okay, so the song God is a DJ, in addition to being the third single off of this album, it features pretty prominently in the film Mean Girls. What part? 
In the scene in Mean Girls, when all of the girls are getting ready for prom, they do the musical montage of uh, Regina George. Oh, all getting dressed and all that. They're all getting ready for prom. And then um, Lindsay Lohan's character is getting ready to go to the mathletes competition. (laughs) You know, like they're all, they're all, it's like, what is it called? They're putting on their armor type of, it's that trope of like getting ready for battle scene. Yeah. Musical montage. This song plays in the background of that song. Huh. And so, I mean, this song was everywhere. I don't know that it was everywhere. I feel like it was everywhere. I don't know that it was popular. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like it was being pushed very heavily. Was it? Because as soon as I can, I I could picture the, the, I could picture it in my head, like the song. I knew what it was. Not my favorite, but I feel like people played it. Like it was like, you know who played it? Who? Our friend Eric. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh. I think that's the only reason that I know what this. That I knew what this. Song I thought was. they played it like at the like just out. I don't think so. Okay, I don't know. Because yeah, okay, remember. you know, like I remember receiving this song from Eric as a leak, uh huh, and being like, "Oh, this is a cool song," and then. I did not see the movie Mean Girls until 2005. Wait, when did it come out? I don't even remember. Mean Girls, I think, came out in 2004. Okay. But I fully did not... I, I, I fully you didn't did see not it at see the time, so you didn't hear the I song. I did not see it at the time, so I did not make the connection to this song until I saw it on DVD. VHS? What were we watching in 2005? DVD. DVDs. Okay. I mean, I still had a VHS player, but... I think that in relation to what we're talking about, this song lacks a lot of the pop bona fides to it, even though I think it is a pop song. And the main thing that I think that it's missing, and going back to my idea that Pink has this formula for her her releases... Uh Uh-huh. I've never felt like the message of this song is easy to absorb. Yeah, I don't know what it's about. I just know I just know the chorus. Da, 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 yeah. The metaphor behind those chorus lyrics, it's like they're a little bit Don't know what that is. God is a DJ. If God is a DJ and life is a dance floor, then Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. That that's your point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Versus like you think of like the iconic pink singles, it's like, you know, Let's get the party started uh-huh. or blow me raise one your last glass. kiss or raise your glass. Like you get an immediate understanding about what the song is about in literally three words. Yeah. This one is like, God is a DJ. Okay. I, I that, that, It's a little bit open-ended and then it's, and then you have to kind of think through like what the whole chorus is saying before you can even absorb what it's saying. And I think that's actually to the song's benefit. Cause the more I think about the lyrics, the more I think that the lyrics are stupid. Well, you, you do like the song though, right? We're Love redeeming the song, the song for that <laughs> reason. No, I think that it I think that it works to this song's benefit because I think that those easy to absorb songs are stupid. Ah, I see. Let's get the party started is so stupid. That song is so stupid. This song wrapped up in this pop instrumentation, I think it's able to disguise its stupidity a little bit. <laughs> it's able to di- disguise its stupidity enough to the point that I don't immediately think about how stupid it is i see you're snookered <laughs> i am snookered but it's also i think i think it's honestly a, a very sonically pleasant song though okay i'm i'm a little surprised that this album wasn't a success only because 
you know, in looking at the, you know, the 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 first track on the album is Trouble, which she also, I if I remember this correctly, Pink was starting to make her a name for herself as a live performer by doing acoustic versions of Trouble everywhere, like with just a guitar. And like she had those very scratchy vocals and like she was doing that. And then I remember, um, cause I think, I feel like she was trying, she was like gunning for like a role in a Janis Joplin biopic. Um, yes. Right. And so like there was, there was that, like she was, you could tell she was like, well, not scratching her voice, but there, there was that aspect of it. And, you know, this was at a time when, you know, no one thought anyone could sing live, least of all pop stars. And so for her just to constantly be on stage, like at award shows and things with just a guitar, a guitarist and singing these songs, I think was a big deal. And then there was that song on here, Feel Good Time with William, that was with William Orbit. Mm -hmm. I remember that being played a lot. It was not. I remember it being played at the, at like clubs. It was not. I don't know that it wasn't. It was on a movie soundtrack. (laughs) I just remember these, hearing it, but not, not that it was a, I know not a chart, but like, not even I feel a dance like, chart. but I feel like at gay clubs, it was maybe played heard a it lot. once. No. Cause I remember this. Okay. Maybe it would have charted. You think? I mean, it's so like, easy can they to just, chart on the can dance they just charts? play it at rage? And like, that's literally where I only heard it. And then like, it's still not. Well, chart. yeah, but if it was only getting played at rage but that's sure. what i mean like that's where i was going out i wasn't going out like if there wasn't else. just like a network of gay mafia dance clubs all playing the same random like dance music <laughs> i guess you're right <laughs> you just need that quorum of like gay mafia dance clubs all playing a certain song and it's just like ooh, dance chart yeah. number one like none of these are like my favorite song or anything i just christina aguilera's just number one dance club single accelerate what is that from her 20 18 album liberation oh i have to have my favorite christina aguilar flop by the way accelerate you know the song you listen to that song because i sent it to you and you're like this is terrible i do um okay where am i going with this so none of these but okay so but none of these songs sell for pink okay basically this whole album try this is a huge failure for her to hear Pink talk about the recording of this album, there there's almost a bit of defiance about Pink that carries through her story, right? Mm-hmm. And she talks about recording this album as a big fuck you to her label. It seems like at this point in time, even after surviving, you know, calling out L.A. Reid on Don't Let Me Get Me, you know, she's still having problems with her label. Uh-huh. She meets Tim Armstrong seemingly in much the same way that she comes across Linda Perry, that he's just someone that she's always been a big fan of. So she kind of manifests it and stalks him until, you know, they're, they're suddenly working together and they work together really closely on this album. And what she says is basically she and Tim Armstrong wrote and recorded all these songs in like 10 days. Mm -hmm. And she was like, this is it. This is is my album. Fuck you. Mm Kind of like, fuck you label. This is my, this is my album. Put it out. Okay. (laughs) And, as a result, like, you know, the song Trouble that you referred to, that was originally, that was actually originally written as a Rancid song. Huh. And if you don't know, like, Rancid was in the 90s, this big, like, punk, yeah. punk band. They did the song um, Time Bomb. Mm. I remember their shirts. Oh, yeah. Iconic. Yeah. 
It's one of those things that I wonder, do kids get those shirts at Target now? Yeah, probably. Like on that wall next to the Beatles and the... <laughs> well, like kids are running around with the, the Nirvana t-shirts uh-huh. now. And it's like, you can buy them at Target and it's like, um, God, who was I talking to? I was talking to someone and they're like, their, their kid or someone was like, oh, like, have you heard of this cool new brand? It's called Nirvana. Oh, God. And it's because they had just seen like a t-shirt that said Nirvana across and they didn't know who Nirvana was. Anyway, so there's that aspect to this album that it almost sounds like she wanted it to fail, Mm. even though it continued a path that she was already on in terms of trying to legitimize herself as a pop rock artist. Mm -hmm. It was missing all of the pop hooks. Mm. I think that's the main reason that I think that this album didn't do well. So why do you like it so much? So to go back to like the idea of like me not being like the biggest Pink fan. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think it is that thing of like a lot of the stuff that made her most popular music so popular Uh is the stuff that I disliked about it. Yeah. It is about how agonizingly easy to digest her pop singles are. Uh Uh-huh. Especially her lead singles. I find them all like almost completely unbearable, intolerable. (laughs) I don't know that I find it. I don't know that I have that reaction. I don't, I never go back and re-listen to them. I didn't hate them at the time, but I feel like it was just because I was, they were like in the water. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just, which I know means you can hate it at the same time. I just, it wasn't what I listened to, but I experienced it wherever I went. <laughs> yeah, you just hear it, and it just grates on my nerves. Well, and I just respected her so much as just, like, a performer. Like, I knew she had a good voice. And I, I always liked kind of the slower songs on the albums, like, where she yeah. seemed more emotional. I think that's where I... I think that's And then I think that's where I always gave Pink a pass, uh-huh. is that I always felt like, despite her, like, rambunctious rock star persona that she was putting out there i always felt like there was a little bit of calculation behind putting out these songs in this order yeah especially after the failure of try this i felt like there was a there was the distinct scent of like this is a woman trying very hard to keep putting out hits and to keep her audience engaged Uh uh-huh you felt you saw the effort so after the failure of try this i think that pink's claim to stardom her musical career is in peril i don't think that it was a foregone conclusion that she could come back after that huh i didn't realize it was that much of a failure honestly that's why i didn't i didn't i mean it was so bad that she had to cancel her u.s tour and only tour this album in europe because it did markedly better in like i think she's really popular in in like germany and Ah. australia Mm. right like that's where this album did really well and so I don't think that it was necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion that she would come back from this. I think that there's a little bit of self-awareness in that, in Mm -hmm. that she takes a sizable break. She doesn't release her follow-up album to this until 2006 and it's called I'm Not Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Which has a lot, which has a lot of hits on it. Yeah. And it's basically, but it's basically an admission that like, oh, like I disappeared because that last album tanked yeah and we had to step back and recalibrate a little bit and what i think is notable about i'm not dead is that 
she doesn't have to go back to Linda Perry. Mm-hmm. She, I don't think she ever really collaborates with Linda Perry ever again. Like the two have reconciled, but she never goes back to collaborating with her. It's almost mm-hmm. like she got that, that credibility off yeah. that one experience. Uh-huh. Um, she kind of falters with try this when she comes back, she's working with Max Martin. She's working with Dr. Luke. She's working. She continues to work with Billy Mann uh-huh. as like a consistent songwriting collaborator and what i think that she does really well and the songs that i continue to gravitate towards with pink are her more like soul laid bare Uh introspective not quite so pop songs does that make Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. yeah to go back to the album try this there's actually a song on this album that i had completely forgotten about that is actually my 100 percent favorite pink song which one? It's a song called Save My Life. Okay. And this is a song that obviously God as a DJ was the single. I feel like it's the song that everyone should have been hearing that they never heard or that not that they didn't hear, but you didn't support this song. The song that I really like from this album is a song called Save My Life because similar to how Pink has this like raucous throwaway lead single the hooky catchy lead single. I feel like a lot of her deeper cuts, a lot of the follow-up singles are the ones where she talks more about like her personal experiences or tells a story that's a little bit heartbreaking, a little bit more emotional. And I feel like those are the songs that I gravitate to more often than not. Okay. And that's what Save My Life is. Save My Life to me is the precursor to songs like Who Knew? Yeah. Um, it's the precursor to songs like uh, Please Don't Leave Me. Uh-huh. And it's also, I think, inheriting the path that she had started with songs like Don't Let Me Get Me. Uh-huh. Like, I, in as much as I see a through line for Pink in her lead singles, I see a through line for a lot of, like, her follow-up singles or even just, like, non-single album tracks. Mm-hmm. And that's where I start to get it. Like, is Pink playing a game where she knows what she has to do in order to continue to be at the top. Uh huh. And if she wants to make a certain type of music, if she wants to do a certain type of live performance, she has to play that game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And if that means, you know, seven versions of blow me one last kiss, then. I mean, it's what people expect, right? Like, and like to your point it's and it, it is just kind of like especially in the last few years like i might encounter a quote-unquote new pink song it sounds mm-hmm. like the last new pink song like they all kind of sound the same they're all sort of they're edgy but for like your mom <laughs> right yeah. like there's I, like that like vibe to I it i think that there's there's something i i don't know if like in more recent times, if Pink has successfully jump-started that car, so to speak, uh-huh. so that she doesn't need to create those kind of impact singles to lead off with. Because I feel like Pink's brand has steadily moved into like like social justice. Yeah. Kind of like that type of emotional play that she plays with a lot of her. Yeah. A lot of her more recent singles. Yeah. The whole like, what about us thing? Dear Mr. And, President. She started that a while ago, but yeah, like yeah. Just kind of leaning into that. 
But I don't think that it, it's been a while since she's had to lead off with something like a blow me one last kiss, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like she's able to just basically jump in, jump back into being like, this is this kind of schmaltzy, emotional, kind of rock, kind of adult contemporary music that I want to make. Yeah. And I'm going to go tour the world on a trapeze. Uh-huh. And I'm going to make a living at this now. I don't need yeah. to do, you know, what I was doing before. It's kind of like to the, music is, the music is kind of secondary in that sense. Yeah. And, but, but she's, I mean, but even so, like she's still able to release like, you know, albums. Yeah. Very, very successful albums. I think is the main part yeah. is like, you know, in those early days, like when she was doing try this, like her albums weren't charting very high. Uh-huh. It wasn't until I think, I think after, I think it was Funhouse or the truth about love. Like it was very late that her albums were steadily climbing until the point that she had like a number one album. Uh huh. But yeah. So for me, so I think for me, the fascinating thing about pink and part of the reason that I like God as a DJ is that pink is a unique artist where her most popular lead singles are the least representative of her music as a whole. Like I can't think of another artist where that's the case. Yeah. Right. Where it's like the, it has a very specific, it's like, yeah. And then the rest of the album's kind of, I don't want to say boring, but it's not that. It's not the same vibe. It's not, it almost doesn't seem like the same person. Mm-hmm. It's like if you bought like a Lil Kim album and then you realize like all of the rest of Lil Kim songs are like folk country songs. Yeah. Like Lil Kim is releasing these singles that are all like raunchy rap songs and then you realize like, oh, wait, that's just the like single that she's putting out. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because everything else is very folky or something. Yeah, or it's like spoken word, coffee yeah, house yeah, yeah. type of music. Um, I don't know that I did anything for Pink today. Sorry, Pink. <laughs> I I guess we should go back and give God is a DJ a try. Like what, yeah, what? Uh... Well, I, I'm just curious because... Sonically, I think God is a DJ is such a catchy pop song. Lyrically, it falters. But to a point that we were talking about a little bit in other episodes, specifically in the Fantasia conversation we were having about music being too of the moment. Uh The vast majority of Pink's other music, I think, has aged poorly. Yeah. Like, so, th- yeah, because when it gets to something that's that, you know, the more emotional songs or whatever, they're they're sort of in their own sort of warp bubble that's disconnected from space and time. Is that what you're saying yeah. a little bit? Like, but whereas the lead singles like like if it, even just looking at the title, you plus your hand. Right. Which you is and spelled, your hand. Oh, you and your hand. I know. But you know what I mean? Like, it's very it's like that that shorthand. Right. That text were like clever quote-unquote clever little names for tracks like that was like it's a very specific time and place i feel like yeah i mean it because it it, it, that specific album especially i'm not dead the one that comes after try this that being her comeback album and i love that album it's a pretty good album album. i listened to that album like front to back when it came out Mm -hmm. re-listening to it this week i was like this album sounds so dated yeah, I just I, so dated. I still just like um on the I'm Not Dead album, I like Oh, maybe I don't like anything on this album. No, I mean I <laughs> I mean I, I remember them. Who knew? I think I, think who, I like who who is who a good knew? song. Long Way to Happy is a good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um 
Leave Me Alone, I'm Lonely is an okay song. Yeah, I the, I guess these, I, I guess, yeah, those are all. But also, for some reason, I feel like, again, to the sense that like Pink is just in the water sometimes. Like, all of those songs were kind of everywhere. Like, you know. Very ubiquitous, yes. And so it's not even that I like or dislike them. Like, I, they're fun. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I, I remember them from that time. I, I started to like, I really liked some of the songs on um, Funhouse, which was the follow-up in 2008. I, mm-hmm. You know, obviously I loved Glitter in the Air. I really liked I Don't Believe You. Again, to that sense of like, when she's, very bare and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you was beautiful. It was like a perfect example of that kind of thing. I really responded to those, those kinds of aspects of pink because I think it let her voice, the vulnerability in her voice shine a lot more than like the big singles. Yeah. Um, I feel like that. I feel like there's something really tiresome about like that tough chick image. It's annoying. Or, yeah. Cause it's, it's almost like, cause it's like, it's those kind of people that like, I feel like we as a culture, because you see these kinds of characters pop up in our pop culture all the time. Right. And you're supposed to like, think that they're really cool or that's maybe not always try to like be like them, but like, especially that party girl or that party boy, it's just that hard living sort of no fucks given. Yeah. Like but the performative yeah. sort of, to me, it's very performative because it's like, yeah. how long are you going to do this for? Like, it's also very flat. I, f- yeah. I felt like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that, like, especially in the case of Pink, where I, I feel like her life story became more interesting in exposing a lot of those like vulnerable moments. Well, yeah, like a lot of her songs, a lot of her songs that touch upon personal experiences that she's grown up with. It's not just like, oh, I'm like, you know, a quote unquote tough girl and I hate men and all this, that and the other. It's like, oh, like, you know, a lot of a lot of like the more a lot of the more like universally relatable things that she touches upon when it becomes more vulnerable for her. Uh huh. You know, because I was well. Okay. A lot of it came up, like you know, when she, when she and Corey Hart, or not Corey Hart, was it Corey? What's Carrie, it? What's Carrie, Carrie Hart, Hart, Carrie Hart. Yeah, um, when they Who's were like Corey Hart, is Corey, Corey Hart, Hart is an actor? Um, okay. but you know, they were going through their divorce or reckon they were separated and reconciliation and all that. But that was kind yeah. of playing out with some of these songs. I think mm-hmm. they're still together, but yes, they are. Um, yeah, this was like, uh, like. It really, you know, he's like a Republican. Is he? I think so. Oh, I don't know. That. I know he. I know was he's like a big. He's a big um, NRA like, guy. Oh, weird. I think he's a. I think he may be like a never Trumper, but I think he's traditionally like mm. a pretty conservative guy. I'd have to. I don't know. Um, I, you know, th- we're talking about like her, like, you know, kind of like whatever image. It's kind of funny because I remember reading this this article or this profile on her and you know cuz early on you know she blew up so much she had bought like this beautiful huge house in Malibu and of course she did they were talking about how you know cuz I think she was performing at the Staples Center that night when they were doing the profile and so like a helicopter picked her up at her 
at her house and like helicoptered her to the Staples Center, which makes sense if you if you know anything about LA. That's a horrible, horrible drive. <laughs> but it is crazy to think about that like party girl image being performed. I don't know what after you've taken a helicopter from your Malibu compound to the performing venue. Like it not yeah. that not that those things are mutually exclusive, because I mean, obviously, like, you know, if you're wealthy and you, you know, your time is yeah. precious, like there's but there is just something incongruous about that that like that makes yeah. it feel more performative. And I, I think I think that's I think that's partially why you can only have that persona for so long. Like there yeah. is an expiration date to that in the face of becoming so successful, so wealthy. Yeah. You're not so supposed affluent. to be a mess at that point. If like, yeah. if, if like you're so successful that you can take a helicopter from your house to the other thing, like it literally lands at your house. <laughs> you can't be a mess falling out, like performing, like falling out of limos. I mean, you, yeah. you can, but like the expectation is not that you'll continue to be successful. Right. Like, yeah. And, and, and again, like pink has been pink aside from this one stumble that she had with this album and the series of singles, like she has shown a lot of expertise at navigating this whole yeah. process. So God is a DJ. <laughs> I'd like you to give it a, I'd like you to give it a second listen. I will. I'd like everyone to give this song a second listen. And more importantly, I want you to consider how terrible a lot of Pink's other more popular music is. I feel like that's like the trappings of like there there's a there's a particular set of formats that we take with this show, I think. There's often like this is a song you never heard and it's actually the most fantastic song ever argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's the this is a fantastic song and then there were extenuating circumstances behind why you never heard it argument we make. And then I fall into this trap of like, this isn't the worst song. (laughs) This isn't the worst song. And by far, many of this artist's most popular songs are in fact terrible. And then it's just left at that. You're like, so what do I do? (laughs) It's, It's almost like flop redemption by comparison. You know, maybe you've 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 pulled the flop out of the mud, but it's still like drying on the side of the puddle. It hasn't been cleaned. It's no. It's just not redeemed. It's just it's just there. I yeah. I'll listen. I, you know, I, I I've I've gone back and I'll, I'll listen to more of some more of Pink. It, she's just not an artist that like at this point in my life I I go back to very often. It's funny for me. I have not listened to any of Pink's more recent music Uh except for those songs that you kind of hear everywhere as part of her ubiquity in our society. Or, or it shows up on like new music, like there'll there'll be like on new music Friday and I'll be like, Oh, Pink has a new song. And I'm like, yep, it's that. And, and you know what that is? Like, it's like, it, it's, it's like, ostensibly rock but very k-big 104 it's she's successfully navigating her way straight into the starbucks cash register yeah yeah i mean i'm sure it's incredibly popular but it's like not where i'm at right now but i still respect her as a vocalist i will always love her for you know uh, and always respect her for 
transitioning into that incredibly difficult and incredibly skilled aerial performance thing mm-hmm. that she does. Um, just water, water being, you know, tossed all over her. Well, she does. They just dropped her. In the, they put her in the water and then like her. Did they give her her mic back? Did she leave it? I don't understand. Is it waterproof? Yeah, I don't know. I, You know, back in the day when I think Britney Spears was doing like, maybe it was the Onyx Hotel. Um, There was a part where she completely walks through a waterfall with a microphone. Uh-huh. Like oh, taped to her head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I worked with someone at the time that was like, there's no way that that's even a real mic. Yeah. Cause like, how could you, you can't do that. <laughs> They're like, they completely drenched her from head to toe. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, I think all I could think about when I, as much as I love that glitter in the air performance, because she's doing it. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's, it's back when the, when the, you know, cause this year the Grammys were different, but back, it was back in the middle of the Staples Center. There's a crowd of thousands and she starts off singing on the stage and then gets sort of like, you know, lifted by wires and stuff to perform this aerial performance. And in the middle of the audience is a pool of water that she kind of gets lowered into and then come, like gets back up. They pull her back up to complete the performance and she's doing spins and stuff. And all I could think was like all of her water is just like being hurled at people in the audience because there's no net like there's nothing she's just in the middle of the staples center so like they didn't give you that splash zone the tarp no no especially because it's like literally in the middle of the crowd of thousands yeah right but and and that and that truly became like pink's big thing like when she started doing the aerial acrobatics it was like it was truly it was truly like here is a woman who is challenging herself to do wild outrageous and just unimaginable things on the stage because not only is she doing this she's doing it singing live yeah and it's truly impressive i think it's 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 interesting when you think about other pop stars that do quote unquote aerial type mm-hmm. of things or harness numbers that there is a full like half a minute where the person is basically seat belting themselves into yeah. a giant metal armature. Yeah. And they basically get onto like a piece of like, like it's a like cherry the window, picker. <laughs> or it's like the window washer get up <laughs> yeah, in like um, First Wives Club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where there's like fully like a gate, a seat belt, two harnesses on either side of their waist, yeah, and like yeah. seven people holding onto their ankles the whole time. Whereas Pink is like literally just like a circus performer doing this yeah. aerial stuff. Yeah. In fact, there was one performance. Do you remember the performance where um, I think she might've broken a rib in Germany? I think so. Ba- basically like she was responsible for strapping herself into her, clipping herself into her aerial harness and either she didn't get one on or something broke and you hear her go like, hold on. And then the harness just whips her up yeah. and, she flies into like a barricade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. had to like stop the performance. But like that's the level of risk that she's putting yeah. herself in. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. Um I will always respect her for that. Like always. Yeah. Cause she did another, I mean, she did this other performance of um was it the song Try? Do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a uh interpretive modern dance number yeah, it was after the, that it was like the next Grammys and they were like something. throwing each other through walls yes. and tables and yes, shit yes, like yes. all kinds of like 
professional stunt coordinated things. And I was like, holy shit, like this woman is a force to be reckoned with. Um, there's the level of excitement that I wish I had had for this song. God is a DJ. Um, and I do in my heart. You do. Yes. I, um, I agree. It's a good, it's okay. a good, um, it's a good thing. Okay. We're going to, it's a good thing. <laughs> All right, Martha Stewart. <laughs> oh no. Hold on a second. I, I have to, um, sorry, my, um, my Sprouts shopper is replacing something and like she's going to replace it with a whole pork shoulder. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need that again. Um, what were you trying to get? Pork country style ribs, which is like, okay. it's basically the shoulder that's cut. And um, if she, yeah, cause no. The perils. <laughs> Sorry, and if I don't of, if I don't do it right now, she's gonna just do it. Yeah, let's just refund this item. I don't want. Yeah, cause yeah, cause it yeah, it's another. I already have a nine pound pork shoulder roast in my freezer, oh, in freezer from the last time they did it, and I didn't get it in time. Um, and I'm like, obviously we're not hosting anyone, so like, can't really make a nine pound shoulder roast. Did you um, at least? like cut it up before you froze it or is no, it no it's one... whole because oh, it's bone it's bone in too so it's oh, like boy. i'm just gonna do one of those cuban pork roasts when y'all are when we're all vaccinated you can come over all right and we'll all just right. pull it apart so well we've opened up vaccinations in la starting uh april 15th so yeah so very well, but that that means like i'll need to like wait for an appointment well, you could just and then them. also wait for my second dose yeah and then two weeks after you get your second dose right uh-huh. so Minimum of six weeks, uh-huh. probably more like eight weeks, and then we can have pork shoulder. Yep. Anyway, and oh, so, oh my god, Barry, we can like record in the same place. Even. Do we even know how to do that? No, I don't very, know. I I'm very worried you. that we don't know how to record in the same place. We've been recording remotely for what nine months now, eight months, nine months, and I fully don't even actually know how to set it up so that we could record in the same place. We'll figure it out. People we'll do figure it. it out. People do anyway, it. So this week, um, I'm going to post a link to all of my pink favorites. I don't think that I did justice for God as a DJ there, but there is a whole other oeuvre to pink songs that I think are fully underappreciated. I agree. Of which God as a DJ is a particular subset. Therefore, it will all appear on this week's playlist for your consideration. And we'd like to give special thanks. To Adam Elder for composing our theme music, songs, and video. Let me start that over because that's a run on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'd like to give special thanks that's to Adam Elder before. <laughs> for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And as always, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com so that we can hear how you think about us (laughs) and other flops. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.